What's up, Rad Dads? Welcome back to another uh, episode of the Rad Dads podcast. Tonight, we have a special guest uh, on hand. Her name is Christine Lyon-Bailey, who is the co-founder and chief strategy officer for Ready Learner One. She also serves as an elementary school principal and director of technology in innov- and innovation in New Jersey. Excuse me, I'm stuttering a little bit. Christine is the co-author of Reality Bites, Innovative Learning Using Augmented and Virtual Reality, and the eSports Education Playbook, Empowering Every Learner Through Inclusive Gaming. Christine is an advocate for innovative thought and practices in learning, both through instruction and leadership across K through 12, higher education, and corporate spaces. You can follow Christine on Twitter. And we will tag it in the liner notes. Yes, yes. Good job, Sal. So uh, Christine is an author, a principal, and a college professor. That's fantastic. How do you have time for life? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our podcast. (laughs) Welcome to our podcast. (laughs) This is Rob. (laughs) Hi, Christine. Hi, Rob. Um, So do you want to give us, that's a pretty wordy introduction, Sal. Thank you. It only took 10 takes. Yes. But do you want to give us a back, any more background on yourself? And and sure. I mean, to summarize that, that very lengthy paragraph introduction uh, that I didn't realize was going to be read out loud. (laughs) I'm really just uh, someone who likes to bring innovative ideas to kids and schools and teachers and and learners and just do fun stuff, make every kid come to school every day smiling. That's awesome. And I think the, the reason we reached out and I've known Christine for, for a long time uh, is because of her focus on virtual learning and what's going on in society today and how virtual learning is really a predominant learning for every school district, yeah, at least in our state. I think it's through the country. Everybody's mostly need. doing uh, uh, virtual learning or a, a, a type of vir- uh, virtual learning is hybrid. Uh, one or two days in school and the rest is at home in front of a computer. So how do you see kids and teachers adopting the technology? So I think it really runs the gamut. As Sal said, there's a lot of different models for what virtual learning looks like. Some districts like ours is open for every kid every day on-site learning, but we have students that opt in virtual. So we live stream our classes all day. Some districts have their kids on an alternating schedule. So they are forced virtual certain days of the week. And then believe it or not, there are plenty of districts across the state that haven't even opened their doors yet. And they've been fully virtual all school year. So how they're adopting the technology really depends upon what model they're using. And I think that it was sort of one of those, you know, we've we've had technology in schools forever, right? And it's evolved forever. But now it was, hey, you've been in the baby pool forever. And now we're going to throw you up on the high dive and shove you off the board and you're just going to figure it out. And so I think each model, each school, each teacher is finding their own way to swim. You know, some are, are took off and swam, you know, the hundred meters and some are doggy paddling to save their life. And some are barely treading and keeping their head above water. But at the end of the day, we all have to figure it out because it's about the kids. How do you see the parents adopting it? Because I know as a parent, it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. So I I think this whole situation is hardest on the parents, to be honest with you. Um, And my teachers would probably kill me for saying that because they would argue uh, that it's hardest for them. And it is undoubtedly, I can't take that away. But Parents weren't trained to be educators. If they were, they'd all be teachers, right? And so when your kid is at home and they're learning virtually, 
yes, the teacher is providing the instruction, but you're the hands-on helper, right? You essentially are the classroom aide who is on the entire time your child is learning. And I think that parents really struggle with that. I think we have a lot of parents who are not technologically savvy, you know, and I, and I think that it's a huge barrier and I think it's a barrier for the kids because if the parents can't troubleshoot at home, they can't help their kid. And if their kid can't troubleshoot themselves, then it really is getting in the way of learning. Um, so I think there's a huge need for professional learning for parents. And that's, you know, a big piece of the puzzle in our district. I produce videos for our parents and put them out on how do I get into Google classroom? How do, what is Chrome? How do I put Chrome on my computer? Um, things like that. But if your district isn't providing that support, then you're kind of on your own. This school district has been, it, it, it has been tough, but that, that's a great idea. Putting the videos out, how teaching the parents, Hey, what Google Chrome is, how do I get into Google Classroom and, and, and stuff like that. This could very well be some parents' first time ever seeing what their kids are actually doing. Yeah. And, and when it comes to math, I know I, from the way we used to learn math to way the way uh, uh, math is being taught now, it's... Well, I've le- relearned math. 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 I've relearned math. But because what we, exactly what your point, we didn't do it this way and it's completely changed based on what the kids are doing today and in order to help your kids you have to learn it so i sit there and study it just with them i get the argument that you're trying to teach the kids to think outside the box i get that but when they have to do 20 or 30 steps to figure out a problem with grouping and adding here and moving this and and put it on the next page. And then the following page, you bring everything together and you get the number two when two times two or, or two times one is two or two times two. It's like, Holy shit. Dude. Regular straight math. You get the card. We, I got the card when I was a kid and you had 12 across and 12 down and you follow the number. And that's, that's your answer. Oh no. I have one, one child who is nine and the other one's seven trying to explain to the seven-year-old what two times two is or what two times three is is not as straightforward as you would think of just a a grid it's easier for them to think it out and understand the underlying meaning because they mean grouping and and placing and and no just like two times two times two is two times three and that equals six yeah I, i get that but have you seen you got a when you get to larger numbers and yeah, vision, the older guy and does moving this and square boxes. And, you know, if it's 34, you got to put 30 and four over here. And yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. No, no thanks. My, my son taught it to me. I was pretty so impressed. Neither one of you will ever be hired as a math teacher in my school. First of all. <laughs> Come on. Why? <laughs> and secondly, I, I, I do tend to agree uh, with what Sal's saying. It's just, you know, the way we, te- there, there's two problems, right? So one, we're teaching kids different ways of getting to the same answer, which I don't have a problem with. I, I think there's value to that. But having them, forcing them to master every way, I think is, is unnecessary. I think that you let the kid pick the way that they most identify with and then let them roll with that and let them master that and move on. Um, but what you're talking about is the reason why virtual learning is so challenging for parents, because in a lot of schools, we've gone to like workshop style teaching, where it's a lot of hands-on manipulatives, the teachers have small groups, they're on the move all the time around the room. And we've taken all of that away. And we've said, here, you have to learn all of this off of a screen now. And you have to just figure it out at home. And we're not going to do these small groups with all these little, you know, things that we group and we move around. And so 
we've spent so long reinventing education. And now we just took this massive slide backward because we took away a lot of the components of what we've been working so hard to build. Now, do you think what has happened with COVID and how uh, most, if not all districts went virtual learning at, at some point, um, do you think that's gonna change how things are done in the future as far yeah, as education? I do, I think. And, and not necessarily for the better or the worse. I can't speak for teachers everywhere, right? But from what I've experienced, teachers are working really hard to find ways to engage kids um, in a virtual learning environment, right? So how do I still build community? How do I make sure my kids feel connected to each other, connected to myself? Um, how do I do, you know, groups in a virtual environment? How do I reimagine assessment, right? I can't just give a multiple choice quest, uh, question quiz to kids on a computer because they can just look up the answers, right? And so how do I reinvent all these practices so that they're meaningful and purposeful for kids, right? So rather than a 10 question multiple choice test, now I'm having kids do performance-based assessments where they're actually developing or creating content that proves their learning. So I think those things we'll see continue. And I think they're massive improvements to education. I think the model we use for education was established in the 1800s and it's a factory line, right? And, and it's time to break the machine down and reinvent the machine. And I think COVID is doing that. I actually think though it's a huge challenge for education, I think it'll be our biggest blessing down the road. In your book, Reality Bites, you, it's, it's a book about innovative learning using augmented and virtual reality. Can, can you explain that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sure. I thought you were going with like a more pointed question. I, I, just the title of the book is, is intriguing. I can. So, I so to, is some of the interaction in the book, right? I didn't I, show I, you I, when I, I came over. Uh, actually, that's the book. Yeah. The book is, is augmented. That is an itself. awesome book. Rob showed, Rob, Rob showed me the rod. <laughs> we called you rod. <laughs> Rod show Rob again. <laughs> Each chapter, how it, it comes to life. If, yeah. If you have a certain app and, and you put the phone. No, it's not an app. It's web-based. It's oh, a very QR, important a distinction. QR scan, right? Yeah. So, so augmented reality can be done with an app or it can be done with uh, it web-based. And so we intentionally did it web-based. So you don't have to download an app because that's a barrier and people will not bother. But all you have to do for, for that book is essentially scan it like a QR code. Mm -hmm. And, and you up, open right? up the website and yeah. it pops right up. It's, that, it's pretty cool. That and is awesome. One of the things that I didn't realize when I did it the first time and I redid it the second time because someone told me I had to, when you go in and you scan it and it comes to life, you can click on it and it does something. Each heading of each chapter, each right? Each chapter title page. Has that interaction. It's pretty cool. That, that is awesome. That I've is never cool. seen anything like no, that. I've never seen anything like that. So, so you can like do that in your classroom, right? That's, that's kind of the whole point of, so the, the book is about taking that technology and using it in the classroom to engage kids. So for example, I used to be a middle school social studies teacher before I did all the other things that I do now. And um, I used to teach ancient Egypt, right? So when you teach about mummies, right? Kids think mummies are like gigantic, right? Like the whole like setup of a mummy. Um, is like the size of like a, a room, right? So there is an app called BBC Civilizations and you literally hold your phone up and you can pull up a mummy like in the middle of your room. But what's super cool about it is you can like zoom in and zoom out, but you can make it actual size. And then you can have a student go and stand next to it and you can see how big it is relative to one of your students. So the kids get this like conceptual understanding of how big a mummy is, right? You could do it with the Rosetta Stone or pottery from ancient 
you know, Rome. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And that, that's just one example of a gabillion different ways that you can use AR in the classroom to engage kids. That, that is pretty awesome. I it's never so did. cool. What, what is that website or? It's an app. It's BB. It's put out by BBC. So it's BBC Civilization. British Broadcasting Company. Yeah. So if you have, the, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to tangent for a hot second. So <laughs> this, is like, this is like my jam. We should have really done the whole episode on AR. But if you have kids, which I think majority of your listeners do, and they are learning like spelling conventions, or if they're taking um, like letter blends and things like that, if they're younger, or if they're older and they're taking like a world language course, there's an app called Catchy Words. It's free. Um, you download it. And what it does is you, you put a word in, <clears throat> you can create word lists. The child holds their the device up and it's like a bubble. So you walk to the bubble. The bubble's like floating in the room. You pop it with the phone or a tablet. And then there's letters all over the room and you have to catch them with your phone. Your phone's a magnet and you bring them over. And it's like Wheel of Fortune where you like put them in the boxes and you actually spell out the words. That is awesome. Ha- it's so cool. Ha- have any parents reported any broken TVs or... <laughs> So we, we use it in the classroom and it's like, you got to make sure that they, like, sometimes I tell the teachers, like, take the kids outside because like, you get so into it. That it's like VR, right? You get so into it and you're like wailing around with your controllers. And it's like, all of a sudden you like broke your window or something. So <laughs> That's definitely something that I'm going to introduce to my kids. It's so cool. It's all free. They're, I mean, there's ones that are paid, but majority of them are free. They're all in the book. That, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and getting back to the book, how, how do you, uh, virtual reality, Yeah. How, how would you introduce virtual reality into, into a classroom? Does oh, everybody have to have the, the VR glasses or? So you do and you don't, right? So there, there's definitely like head mounted VR, which is amazing because um, it's fully immersive and you're, you're replacing your reality with it, but you can do web-based VR too. Um, there's lots of different examples of, of web-based VR, which is a lot more accessible, I guess, in the classroom. But in our district, we put a, a VR lab in our middle school. So we have um, three super high-end HTC Vives in our middle school, in our STEAM lab. We have a sustainability course that we do with our eighth graders where they design a sustainable society and they have to have like all these different components of sustainability. And then they actually do a, like a sustainability study where we use Google Earth and they fly over like a region of the earth and they do like a topography study and all this like research. And then they design their sustainable society and they build it in Google blocks, which is so cool. Like they actually architect the buildings and everything. And then you can take a tour through it. And then we export the file and we print it on a 3d printer. So they get a, a wow. blueprint of their city. I think we do the sustainability. I think we do that. And you said steam. Yeah. I always thought it was STEM. Yeah. So steam is STEM, but the A is arts. So science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Art, arts fe- felt left out. STEM is amazing, don't get me wrong. But if you can like have kids express themselves through the arts while using the components of STEM, I mean, it's super powerful. Sure, no, absolutely. That is amazing. It's my jam. That's like my passion. <laughs> I, I, I hear it. Completely threw us off our... Uh, our sorry. <laughs> we went on a tangent. I'm sorry. Hold this on, I don't apology. know where to start now. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I am very sorry. No, I, it makes sense. Like it's. I, I was very, you know, just looking at the title, I was like, you know, I, I want to know more about it. And I, I love that each chapter of the book comes to life. I mean, it actually comes to life. That's pretty when cool. you, when you, when you put your phone to it and just. So does the cover. The cover is the coolest part. You can show me the cover. Oh, I pop out of it. My avatar. Yeah. Me and my co-authors and we tell yeah. you all about the book. That's why it's the coolest part. Awesome. I love her outfit. 
you bring the book with you? No, it's at home. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. What is the common parent issue that you've experienced or seen with the adaption of the technology of the new technologies? Yeah, so user error, definitely user error. And and I feel bad saying it, but it's it's the reality of it, right? Parents just don't intuitively know how to navigate the technology. So, you know, our teachers use Google Classroom for everything. So assignments, resources, their live meets every day, everything is coordinated through Google Classroom. And so often parents will call because the meet link isn't working, but it's because they didn't close the tab from the day before and they just need to reopen it things like that. It's really just user error and they need help navigating, but it's one of those things where they call the main office and it's 915. And, you know, my secretary is the most wonderful person on earth, but she's not going to help them troubleshoot. I don't have a technician in my building. So I have to get on the phone with that parent at 915 so I can walk them through it so that their child isn't losing learning time. Right. And so it's, their biggest challenge is my biggest challenge too, because I want to support them, you know, round the clock and be able to problem solve in the moment. Um, And that's, that's challenging as the building principal and, you know, with everything else that's going on. How hard or easy was it for the teachers to adapt to the new learning system? The ones who wanted to quickly, easily, (laughs) no problem. Yeah, of course. And the ones who didn't quickly realized that they had no choice other than to follow suit. I will tell you the biggest challenge to opening school this year was anxiety and it was teacher anxiety. And it was truly based on, you mean to tell me every parent can watch me teach all day long from home. You're basically putting me under a giant microscope and you're giving every parent the ability to critique my every move. In a school year where I feel so uncomfortable already, I can't get near my kids, I'm behind a face shield, I have a mask on, I can't even hear them say their names, I don't know what they actually look like, they lost three months of learning back in the spring, and now you're gonna let the parents watch me do everything I do. And so that was the challenge. So your district is fully, uh, what do they call it, concur learning here? So we have concur learning where it's live, Teachers yeah. teaching live. Yep. We only have a portion of, well. In our district? Yeah. So the middle school is different because middle school and high school, I don't know because I don't have kids there. You know what? I'm wrong. It, it was. It's uh, half days. It, it, originally it was slides, right? We'll send slides and the kids look at PowerPoint. Oh, like asynchronous learning? Right, right. So I mean, now I, it's, have you ever sat in while the kids are in their live meetings? I mean, I'm sitting here and my daughter's right there on that desk. So I, I watch and I hear, well, she's got headphones on, so. So I've sat behind, not so much um, my youngest because he goes to school all day, but my oldest, I'll sit and like sit in on his 12 o'clock or whatever it is. And to listen to the lesson is very entertaining and eye-opening because I'll hear kids who I know, I know them from soccer or whatever, because they're his friends, be get, get yelled at because they're not doing something or they're not paying attention. And then you know, I'll hear how she talks to them. Like traditionally, I would never hear that. I would never hear how the teachers are talking to the kids. Now I hear it and I'm like, "Mm, I like, and I get what you're saying because they never had that visibility to the, to the parents any previously. But you know, you know what else was invisible and you, you make a really important point. So the kid that has a really hard time, like focusing in class and needs to be redirected every five minutes. Every parent now knows who that kid is. So Johnny oh, doesn't sit 
Bill, Johnny's always out of his seat. And Mrs. Jones tells Johnny every five minutes, Johnny, are you working on your worksheet? Johnny, sit down. Johnny, face forward. Johnny, stop tapping your pencil. And and everybody now, knows who Johnny is. Everybody knows who Johnny is. And everybody knows that likely Johnny has some kind of an attention deficit type of disorder. And then you have our students who have IEPs that get accommodations and modifications. Thank God we can provide those things. Every parent watches those happen too. So all the confidentiality that goes into IEPs is now live broadcast for every parent to watch. And how are you supporting the IEPs? That's, that was going to be my question. Does your, does your district make the children with the IEPs a priority? So we are open since September 1st. We have been open every day for every child. So we don't have a rotating schedule. We are not, we don't have any kind of like alternating cohort. Every single kid has a seat in my building from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. every single day, every single week. That's so, a child with an IEP? Any child. Oh, Every child in the district. Um, we have students whose parents have opted to keep them virtual because they don't feel comfortable sending them to school, which I totally respect. My own, my own child sure. is 100% virtual by my choice, um, which is very conflicting because I run a building where you're encouraged to come in, but I keep my own kid home. So that's why we're live streaming because every classroom has like one or two that don't come in. They're 100% virtual by choice. I think almost all of our IEP students are coming in in person, which allows us to provide them with all of their services, all of their related therapies. Um, special education teachers are in the rooms that they're in helping to provide modifications for them. Their aides are there for them. I think we've done a really good job with that, but, it, but it's really hard for districts that can't do that. I think Newark, I don't even think they've opened their schools yet. So how are you supporting your IEP students? Right. right? Yeah. you're not at their house, you know, over their shoulder. So it's, it's really hard to do. And most of, most of those children are the ones that can't attend on the screen all day long to begin with. So now you're, it's a double-edged problem. You said eight to one. So you're, you're almost full day. We are. So you're, you're eliminating uh, uh, lunch and, and phys ed. So, yeah, so uh, we, so I reduced my class periods by two minutes and then I eliminated, so we have a one hour lunch block. Normally they get 30 minutes for lunch, 30 minutes for recess. Um, so that's eliminated. And then I used to run two related arts a day. So that would be like your art, music, science, I'm sorry, no, art, music, STEM, PE, creative literacy, like those courses. So they get one a day instead of two a day. Wow, full days, man. I mean, the younger guy goes full day. I know, I know. I'm, I'm it's a blessing because so otherwise my, they're, it would go off in my house. My youngest and my middle, half days, uh, five days a week. My oldest, who's in middle school, it's two days a week, half days, and the rest oh. of yeah. our Even our middle schoolers are in every day, all day. So you know what? So we're, so mo we're moving to Morris Plains. Move to Morris Plains. <laughs> so <laughs> what about principle. what she was saying is that like, the one thing that I found interesting was that now parents know like who's that kid who's acting up. Yep. I was in the bagel shop and someone made a comment about my older guy and there and he told me about it and said, you know, someone was doing something in class and they said, oh, that's your son. My son's name, right? Said said that. I was like, oh, really? Because I listen. So where my son sits and where I sit, he sits in his his bedroom. I can hear him. Right. As long as I'm not on a call, I can hear him. And he's most of the time 100% paying attention. So I was like, very interesting that someone would call my son out when I know, like, I'm always pretty much right. like keeping an ear out because I know he's a little wise ass. <laughs> like he's me <laughs> at that age. And 
I'm well aware of what he's going to do. So, yeah, don't fall yeah, too it's, far from the tree. It's not fall far. <laughs> yeah, keep laughing over there. Uh, it's not far from the tree. So I, he always busts my stones. And I'm like, listen, dude, I was you. And he's like, no, you weren't. I was like, oh, I was. And I was probably just as bad or possibly worse. So like, did you tell him you were cooler? No, it's definitely. <laughs> yeah, <cool>. it's not <laughs> one of the, th- so one of the other things with, with all this screen time and with those kids spending all their time online, how do you avoid uh, this, the screen fatigue? Eye fatigue. Eye fatigue, screen, screen fatigue, right? Yeah, both, I guess, ultimately. Um, so we do try to limit screen time. So in, in my building in particular, so my, my school is pre-K through second grade. So they're, they're really young. So we do build in a lot of like screen breaks, um, even for our virtual kids. So like, for example, I have this one teacher, I think she has six, she has 16 kids in her class. 10 come to school every day and the other six are virtual every day by choice. So she'll build in like, you know, she'll do a mini lesson on like a writing skill, for example. And then she'll say to the the children who are at home, okay, guys, turn your screens off. I'm still here. Don't hang up. Right. Just, just tilt your screen down, work on your writing. And if you have a question, tilt the screen back up and ask me, but you know, take a break from being on the screen. So they're not like producing everything on a screen. Our older kids are. Um, but then part of the reason why I built my schedule so that I could keep one related art in every day was to give the kids that break, right? They, they need to be creative. They need to use their imaginations. They need to go outside and run around during PE. Um, and that's, it's such an important developmental part of their schooling experience. And I, I didn't want to take that away from them. Um, and so that's a big piece of why that's built into their schedule is to provide that break. We also do like a snack break during the day. Um, teachers do like go noodle breaks where the kids get up and they move around. Um, every child brings a, a beach towel so they uh, can do like yoga at their desk. So they'll roll their beach towel out in front of their desk and they'll do like some yoga in the middle of the day, things like that. I do yoga in the middle of the day. I didn't want to ask about that. So continue, <laughs> continuing on, on the virtual learning, what advice would you give to parents or dads that are struggling um, with their child with virtual learning? Um, what, what, what as, as a principal and someone who's developed the program, essentially, what advice would you give, uh, give a parent or a father? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's really funny. And I mentioned this before. So I, I'm a virtual learner parent. Um, my, my daughter is in third grade and she has been home all year. Our schools are open. We keep her home. It's a whole nother story for another day. Um, but in the beginning of the year, I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And I go to work every day. My, my poor husband sits at the dining room table and works all day, every day with two kids in the house. It's crazy. Um, and I, so I needed to kind of think about how am I supporting her as the parent? how would I need to support her as the principal? And like, where do I connect those dots, right? So I, I think my biggest piece of advice is communication. Um, I think a lot of times parents feel like they're bothering the teacher by reaching out to them. Um, and I will say like, as the parent, I, I made a point to establish a, a positive rapport with her teacher right from the beginning of the year, partially because I'm a total control freak, um, but also because I, I live in that world, right? So I, I know how important that is. Um, and I was really transparent about what my daughter's strengths are and what her biggest challenges are and how I was concerned about those challenges getting in her way of being a virtual learner. Um, and it, it really opened up the door for some really great conversation between her teacher and I. And now I get feedback from her teacher regularly. I mean, we're blessed. She has an amazing teacher um, where I can then follow up at home, right? So like where a teacher would say, 
hey, Lilia, hang, hang on for like a minute at the end of the day. I want to talk to you. Like her teacher doesn't have the ability to do that, but she'll communicate with me and I'll do that. So I think it's like that whole social emotional aspect of the learning, um, keeping a pulse on how your kid is doing and keeping that communication with the teacher. Um, my teachers in my building, their biggest heartbreak of, of their virtual learners is they don't really intimately know them the way that they normally would. And that, you know, it's hard for a teacher, right? They like, especially elementary teachers, they, they want to love your children as much as you do. I mean, they basically spend more time with them than you do during the week. Um, and so that piece, that connection piece is what's really challenging. And I think that having those open dialogues with teachers is, is so important to the success of the child. That, that's amazing. That, that's great advice. Open communication. Thanks. Uh, uh, open up a line of communication with the teacher, openly communicating with your child and understanding what, what they're doing, what essentially going through and breathe for 10 seconds before you erupt. <laughs> take, take 10 deep breaths. That's why I meditate every morning. <laughs> It's serious. I mean, you guys are laughing, but I'm serious. <laughs> like if I don't meditate, I'm going to blow a gasket by the end of this. I'm going to try to paraphrase your words, right? But how, how is a, a digital citizenship playing a role in the increased use of technology? Yeah, so it's a great question. Uh, it's a really hard thing to teach kids, right? But the bottom line is digital citizenship is no different than citizenship. And all of it is being a good person. Right. And so we need to teach kids to be good people and we need to teach kids to respect others. And we translate that to your virtual world as well. Um, and so digital citizenship is really about respecting others, respecting boundaries. Um, we start teaching it as young as kindergarten. And when I first started in the district, I, I started as a supervisor of technology. And my first like task from the superintendent was you need to make sure every teacher is teaching digital citizenships. So I remember I was like there for two weeks, I go to the kindergarten teachers and they look at me like I have 25 heads. Like you want us to teach digital citizenship to five-year-olds? And it was like, it was like six years ago, right? So it wasn't like every kid didn't have a device yet, things like that. And I was like, yeah, it's real simple. You teach them to be good people, no matter what the environment is. And that's digital citizenship, right? And then teaching them about their digital footprint is so important because need, kids really need to understand the the ramifications of the decisions they make, especially our older kids. It's so interesting. So do either one of you know when your digital footprint starts? No. When you turn your phone on? Nope. It's the day that your mother finds out she's pregnant with you. Because that oh. pregnancy blood test goes into the computer system. And that is the first day of your digital footprint. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's terrifying. Yeah. And then if you think about what happens from then all the way through to like just age five, like how many things are digitized, they announce it on Facebook. Now the whole world knows you exist before you're even born. Then they post pictures of you when you're born. And like, there's so many elements to your digital footprint. So getting kids to understand that and then how you can damage that based on what you put out there, it, it's so important to teach that. I liked it much better in the era when we were born. Yes, no kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons Sal doesn't post any pictures of his kids. I try not to, but we've never, happen. my wife and I made it. It was actually my, my wife was a big proponent of it. Um, she didn't want our kids' faces on Facebook. Yeah. And maybe when they were infants, I posted, but up until recent, you know, they, 
it, I've had the uncomfortable conversation with family members, you know, in years past, Hey, you just posted a picture of my child with your child. I know you're, you want to post family pictures on Facebook, please remove my child or put an emoji over their face or something. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it is, it is crazy. It is crazy. It is. It yeah. is. And schools are a big part of it now, right? Like we, so Mars Plains has an amazing social media stream and we tweet every day and, but we have parents sign social media releases for our kids and we have parents that don't and, and those kids are not posted, but you know, it's, if you think about it, like we're building their digital footprint, right? Every time I post, it increases their footprint. Tweet. How do you use Twitter every day? Do you know how I use Twitter every day? Have I not shared this with you? I feel like I feel like, <laughs> oh, I'm, being, I know. I'm, just I feel like I'm being set up right now. <laughs> You're totally being set up, but I'm saying like you, you've just piqued my interest. What's going on here? <laughs> so I so I became principal in the building three years ago, and my goal in life is to make every single child smile every single day. That is that is my. I had an elementary school principal that did that. And to me, that is the biggest gift that you can give a child in those grade levels. Cause that means they want to be there. Um, so I do my morning announcements every morning. And part of my morning announcements is a joke of the day. Um, and I live stream my morning announcements on Twitter every morning so that all of my virtual students and my families can watch the morning announcements. And then students who are in school, if they want, when they get home, their parents can um, see my morning announcements with them. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Joke of the day. Joke of the day. My wife doesn't. Do you want today's joke of the day? It was actually a good one. What did the bread say to the knife? Don't try to butter me up. So anyway, you can watch the morning announcements every morning at MW Stars CLB. All right. Thanks, Christine, for that riveting interview. That is only part one of virtual learning. We will bring you part two in the upcoming weeks. And now a word from our sponsors. Amster's Prospect Tavern is truly the place where everyone knows your name. They have a real family and hometown vibe with excellent pub grub, including their famous mozzarella bites and cheesesteak egg rolls. Sal and I both enjoyed them tremendously. They offer more of an upscale weekly specials like veal asaboco, slow-cooked short ribs, some filet mignon, and lobster tails. I've even seen a scallop and shrimp penne alla vodka. They all look amazing. They take pride in serving excellent food and making their customers feel at home. If you're in the Waldwick area or you're just craving takeout, give Amsters a call. You won't be disappointed. So on to Sal's favorite bit of our podcast. Our favorite bit. Our favorite bit. And he will take us through, drum roll please. The Rittenhouse Straight Rye Whiskey. That is what we are... uh tasting tonight uh it is actually bottled in bond under government supervision which means this bottle is guaranteed to be 100 proof and it is 50 percent alcohol by volume all right distillery which i didn't know and very interesting is heaven hill distillery uh back label note rittenhouse rye is produced in the tradition of the classic pennsylvania or I'm going to try this. It's a funky word. Monogalahela. Monogalahela. God bless you. <laughs> Rye whiskeys, which are believed to have had a spicier, fruitier flavor profile. Ironically, Rittenhouse is a low rye, 51%, which is typical of the modern Kentucky rye mash bill. 
This is bottled and bomb, as I mentioned, or also known as BIB. It is aged for years. Uh, the awards, this is kind of interesting. 2019, they won the Ultimate Spirits Challenge. They got 95 points. Also in 2019, the WSWA Tasting Competition, WSWA stands for Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America. They got Best Rye Whiskey. And then again in 2019, which is only three years ago. Come uh, on, 2019 was three years ago? What type of math are you doing? Oh, yeah, two years ago. <laughs> Look. Oh, dang it. Dang it. Um, so in the 2019 San Francisco Spirits Competition, they got the double gold. That's actually really freaking good. Double gold. Uh, color is mahogany. Mahogany. That's a first. But I, I agree with that statement. It's yes. pretty dark. Yeah. Uh, price point. This is actually 25 to 35 bucks. Not bad at all. Not bad. Depending on where you are. Um, uh, as always, we taste our bourbons neat. Nose and aroma. I get the rye spice. Vanilla. And in our third glass that we always uh, use here, the little dry glass, I get the charred undertone and, and a sweetness. I can't figure out what the sweetness is, like you said. There is definitely a sweetness to that. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I can't, can't uh, put my finger on it. Uh, tasting notes, uh, I get the vanilla and the rye spice finish. There's a slight burn to the finish. Overall, not a bad bourbon. I know it's a uh, go-to bourbon for a lot of mixologists. They use that to, to make a lot of their drinks. Um, so what do you think, Rob? I think it is an okay bourbon. I am not in love with it. I think the first glass, you, you have to wait a little bit to let it open up. I understand why mixologists would use it. I think the aroma is, like I said, I have three you know, my three tier ranking, uh, taste, aroma, and price. I think the price is awesome. The price is great, but I think the aroma and taste is lacking. And because of that, I am going to give it, oh man. Drum roll, please. I think I'm going to give it a three, five barrels. Whoa, 3.5. Yeah. I'm just not, I just don't love it. it the, there's a okay aroma. The taste is 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 really strong. Uh, there's a lot of burn. The price is great, but that's about it. Uh, I am going to give it a five zero. Wow! Look at you, son. Five zero. That's good. It's, look for the price point. It is not bad. Uh, like you said, let it let it sit in the glass for a bit. Let it open up because it, eventually it becomes a. Uh, uh, Easy sipper, as I say, especially after the third glass. <laughs> <laughs> At 100 proof. Um, it may, uh, we always taste the bourbons neat. Uh, it may open up after an ice cube. Very possible. We don't know. Um, we, this was actually, this bottle was actually um, plan B. We had a bottle that was recommended for a tasting tonight. And nope, no, nope, no. I think that one's gonna go down the drain. <laughs> I don't want to mention what it is, but oh my god, no, nope. can't. No way, no how, no hell, no. Yeah, no, 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 no. Uh -uh. So, 
Well, I think that that concludes our two hour, hour like two hour two hour long episode. I might have to break this into two episodes. Okay. I, I have the yeah. So all right. Well, thank you all. Thank you everybody for joining us. Um, hope you enjoyed the episode 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 with Christine Lyon Bailey, the author, the the author, the principal, the professor, and am I missing something? Chief strategy officer. Yes, that. <laughs> very accomplished uh stay tuned for our next episode thank you very much for listening be sure to tune into our next episode if you like what you heard share with someone you like or maybe dislike follow us on facebook twitter instagram tumblr itunes podbeam google cast pandora youtube your sister's ass and spotify be sure to smash that subscribe and follow button too if you have any questions or comments or want to give us some feedback you can hit us up at the rad dad show at gmail.com